Will you welcome once again Rob to our pulpit, please? Is the mic working? Excellent. Thank you, tech team. You guys are great. Let's give them a hand. <laughs> All right, I'm going to grab a cherry because I don't want to stand up the whole time, start moving around or put my hands in my pockets or stuff. I don't want to do that. All right. As I was uh, as I was prepping for this, I had something for two or three weeks. I've been reading through the scripture, Colossians one nine through thirteen, and when I got here today, God said, "You need to remember that my word is a continuous word from beginning to end." And He said, "Remember, it's not just the New Testament that we need to look at. We also need to look at the Old Testament." So as I was sitting there and I was uh, thinking about it, I was like, "God, what do you want me to say from the Old Testament?" And <laughs> And I, I did a quick Google search just trying to cross-reference this, and it's funny because God took me to a passage of Scripture that we've been going through in our, uh, our family worship at home. Um, 1 Samuel 1, excuse me, 1 Samuel 12, 19 through 25. I'm going to read this real quickly, and then we'll get into um, what God has for us today from Colossians because it fits right in. This is the time when Samuel's about to give up the reins of Israel, of ruling Israel to Saul. Uh, the kingdom of Israel, or yeah, the kingdom of Israel asked for a king, and Samuel was distraught about it. He said, no, you guys don't want a king. This is bad news. And he prayed to God, and God said, give them what they want. And Samuel was like, no, God, this is not a good thing. And he said, give them what they want. So he went out, picked Saul, um, and then this is kind of the last speech he gives to Israel prior to, um, prior to giving up the reins to Saul. And it says in, in verse 19, or starting in verse 19, And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die. For we have added to all of our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart, and do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. It's just amazing. Um, when I first met Greg, it was it was God-ordained meeting. And a few weeks after I got here, Greg asked me to be the prayer guy. And I've talked about this before be the corporate prayer guy. And I was like, God has done this to me multiple times because he wants me to understand the importance of prayer because I've not been diligent in my uh, continuous prayer with him throughout my life. And God has used these opportunities to remind me of how important prayer is. Um, and then <laughs> Greg sent out the schedule asking if uh, I wanted to, to help teach with, uh, in this next teaching series through Colossians. I said, yeah, and I looked purely at the, 
the date that looked good that would fit my schedule, I have time to prepare. And so I picked this date to teach, and lo and behold, what are we talking about? <laughs> Colossians 1, 9 through 13 is talking about a prayer that Paul says for the people in Colossians. God is continuing to remind me of, of the importance of prayer. Colossians 1, 9 through 13 says, And so, ever since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be filled in all, with all power, according to his glorious might, According to his glorious might. That's awesome. For all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he has delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred you in the kingdom, into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If I were honest with myself, I would not pray this prayer. I would not even think to start the letter like this because the first thing I would do is be joyful about their faith. And if I did pray for them, I would pray that God blesses them because of their faith. You know, this in and of itself is not a bad thing. In fact, thanking God for salvation of others is a great thing to do. Greg talked last week about a key point which Paul is demonstrating here, that praying for people is much more important than praying for material things. I don't know about you, but this, con this convicted me last week because if you're anything like me, you pray that God blesses you more. When I pray this, I typically mean, God, make it easy on me. Or give me an increase in material things or more free time or favor in the eyes of my, my bosses. Now, don't get me wrong. These also are not bad things to pray for. In fact, Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Be anxious for nothing but in everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So the word tells us that if the perceived lack of anything causes us anxiety or stress, we need to pray and ask God for deliverance from that lack. Then God promises us peace in that same passage. But Paul does something different here. Some people throughout eternity were created to fight. Remember that, Greg? I think you said that, <laughs> right? Some people were created to fight. <clears throat> Some people were instilled with a divine call to battle on behalf of others, to win a cause. Jonathan, David's beloved friend, was like this. Joan of Arc was too. William Wilberforce, if you don't know him, he was a British parliamentarian who fought to, to stop the British slave trade. Dr. Martin Luther King was also like this. And many others can be counted among the people called by God to wage war against physical and spiritual forces and at battle in the physical and spiritual realms. Paul has a mindset of a warrior. And he knew that battles in life, in the life of a disciple of Christ, 
were not to be avoided, but to train and prepare for. He believed that spiritual warfare was inevitable for believers. That is why we hear him talk regularly about relying on the power of God in doing battle. As verse 11 of our text says, according to his glorious might. In his letter to the Ephesians, he talks about preparing for battle when he says, putting on the full armor of God. Why does he do this? So that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Look at this phrase for a second. He says that you put on the armor so that you may be able to stand. Paul believed that it was impossible in your own strength to withstand the temptations and attacks of Satan. For what purposes does God call us to be able to stand? God's purpose is that we are able to stand in battle against Satan and his schemes. Thus Paul implied, or excuse me, thus God implies that it is possible to succeed against the attacks of demonic forces. Not in our own strength, but in his strength. Paul lets the church in Colossus know that he has heard of their increasing faith and that it has spurred in him and his companions the divine imperative to wage war on their behalf. Remember the parable of the seeds sown in different soils? In Mark 4, 1 through 20, we observe Jesus deliver this lesson to a large crowd. In this message, there are four types of soil. The well-traveled path, the rocky soil, a thorny soil, and a good soil. Though it is probable, more than likely highly probable, that Paul was not around when Jesus delivered this message, it is evident that he understood its application. When the gospel is heard, it can fall on the soil of many people's hearts. Paul was praying that the Spirit of God would continue to fertilize, cultivate, and prepare this this soil of the Colossians' hearts that they may bear good fruit. Paul recognized the spiritual war that would go on to try to devour, distract, and discourage believers from effectively bearing fruit. Now, how do we wage war against the attacks of our own spiritual nature internally and against the spiritual warfare waged by Satan and his minions externally? You see, there's two wars that we're fighting, kind of a two-front war. It's both internal in us, our own sinful nature that we're trying to battle with, but then there's also an external warfare that's going on. Satan and his minions are trying to attack us as well. Paul gives us some insight into this. In this prayer, he asks that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. First, it takes an understanding of the information that God has delivered to us. Now, if you have that little uh, pamphlet or little uh, brochure that was handed out for, um, for the announcements, if you uh, have a pen and are able to take some notes or you've got a piece of paper or whatever, I want you to draw a triangle on that because we're going to revisit this. At the top of the triangle, I want you to write information, okay? We'll come back to that in a second. So first, it takes understanding of the information that God has delivered to us. And this comes from reading, understanding, meditating, and praying through God's words. That's why he delivered us his scripture. That's why he gave us his word, so that we may read it, learn it, pray through it, meditate on it, and understand it. 
If we believe that God is continuing to work in this world, if he is alive and active, then we need to know what his word says first. And then we need to know how to apply it. This is what Paul means when he says, by filled with knowledge, that's the information from the word, and spiritual wisdom, that's information from the spirit that lives inside of us. And then spiritual wisdom, excuse me, um, secondly, he means for us to apply his word to life circumstances. And that's why he says all understanding. So it's not just having the information, but it's learning how to apply it through understanding. He means for us to apply God's word in our lives in order to discern what is good and pleasing and perfect. We get that from Romans 12, 2, and it talks about the renewal of the mind that has the effect of helping us know God's will. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Paul recognized that our ability to put God's armor, put on God's armor in large part, comes in large part by our knowledge and our understanding of him through the scriptures. As we press into God, we learn more about him, and we are able to be equipped for battle. John 15, 5 says, I, Jesus speaking here, I am the vine, and you, all believers, are the branches. If you abide in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Paul continues in his letter that our being filled with the knowledge of God leads us to bear fruit in every good work. As we know our Father and increasingly abide in Him, we understand who God is, who we are in Him, and subsequently, what we are called to do by Him. At the top of that triangle, next to information, write, Father. <clears throat> Here's a practical example of this, if, if you're not kind of understanding me. Let's consider a situation um, of your employer promoting you to a higher position in the company, all right? Let's just cons consider that for a second. Why would they do that? Typically, it's because you have proven yourself diligent in your work and able to handle, handle more responsibility. Now, if you are promoted, you are typically going to be working closer for your boss in some aspect. If your will defined as your ability to achieve the company's objectives in a way that aligns with the vision of the company is not aligned with your bosses, if your will is not aligned with your bosses, would you be promoted? If your professional desires are not aligned with your boss's desire, why would they promote you to a higher position? I'd argue that they wouldn't because if they promote you to a higher position, you're going to be working closer with them. They're going to be around you more. They're going to be seeing you more often. So if your desires and your will does not align with their will, then why would they bring you closer to them, into closer relationship with them? The same logic applies here. When we act in alignment with our identity in Christ, our faith increases and our knowledge of the Father also increases. Why? Because we move into closer relationship with him. At the bottom right-hand side of your triangle, write 
imitation. And then next to that, write ID or identity. The parable of the talents in Matthew 25 presents us with God's promise in this truth. Those who are faithful with a little, God promises to give stewardship over more. Now, the parable of the vineyard from Mark 12 presents us with a corresponding warning. If we are not good stewards of the vineyard, what does God promise to do there? He promises that he's going to destroy the tenants of that vineyard and give it to someone else who will prove to be good stewards of that vineyard. You see, this is the progression we see in Colossians 1, 9, and 10. From increasing knowledge of God, which leads to walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, which subsequently leads to bearing good fruit, which then leads to a further increase in the knowledge of God. See, it's all connected. So on the bottom left-hand side of your triangle, I want you to put an arrow pointing to the left, and then write obedience and write innovation. We'll get to why that's important in a little bit. See, God, yeah, there I am. In my notes, that's why I wrote this all down. All of this is done by the power of his glorious might. We are unable to wage war by our own strength. Unable. We can't do it on our own. Why? Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, powers, and authorities in the heavenly or spiritual realm. Now, how can we hope to wage war against spiritual powers with our human strength that is physical? How can we wage war in a spiritual realm with physical power? We can't do it. We've got to wage war spiritually. And that's what Paul is talking about here. This is why Paul prays for the church that they would be filled with all power according to his or God's glorious might. Because God's glorious might is not a physical might, it's a spiritual might. It can manifest itself in the physical world, but it's a spiritual might. You see, family, when we recognize God as our king, right king up at the top of that triangle now, and that we are his heirs, we are able to act in authority, right? Authority down at the bottom right of that triangle. And we are able, because he has bestowed on us um, that authority because of his name, because of who he is, because of his own authority as king. As heirs, he bestows that authority upon us. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, we are called new creatures, Our identity and authority come from our Father, the King. This is not an identity that we earn, but as adopted children, we are fully and completely seen as God, seen by God as His own children. And now we recognize and live in this new authority as heirs, and then we are able to act in power, right power down at the bottom left-hand side, bottom, yeah, bottom left-hand side, where the arrow is of that triangle. I didn't put any PowerPoint slides up here because I didn't want to give any work to Nathan. So I'm trying to get you guys, I'm trying to describe this picture for you as you see this. 
So up at the top, you should see information, you should see father, and you should see king. At the bottom right-hand side, you should see imitation, you should see identity, and you should see authority. And then on the bottom left, what do you guys see? Innovation, obedience, and power. Exactly. You guys are on track. Good. We're all on the same page. Since in his will, his authority, and his power that we now possess, or since it is his will, his authority, and his power that we now possess, it is also God's timing that all this action takes place. Paul says in verse 11, with with this power that he desires that the Christians in Colossus would, would have all endurance and patience with joy. If you are a believer, you can, you can choose, excuse me, you can take joy that God's power is at work in us and through us. We are to take joy also that he works in his own timing. Because if we had everything we wanted at the time we wanted it, it would not be perfect. It would be far from as full and complete and wonderful as if God accomplishes it in his own timing. Now, Paul takes a moment here before beginning the rest of his letter to describe who they are in God and what they have gained because of their new identity. Paul says in verse 12 that God has qualified them to take part in the inheritance of the saints in light. That God has delivered them from the domain of darkness and transferred them into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And because of this, they should give thanks. We need to praise God daily because of our new identity in him. And our new identity as heirs to the throne is where we as believers, like the Christians in Colossus, gain our inheritance. Paul reminds us whom it was who, that delivers us from the domain of darkness, the kingdom, excuse me, the domain or kingdom of darkness, a kingdom ruled by Satan, ruled by sin, ruled by the flesh, lust, greed, anger, and jealousy. God delivers us from that. He is to be glorified for all this, not me, not Pastor Greg, not LifeSpring, not the VBS or or WANA program that you were in as a kid. It is God alone that gets that glory. And this deliverance comes with it the greatest treasure of all. Paul finishes the prayer by reminding us that because of Jesus, we have the promise of redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This deliverance brings with it redemption. Jesus redeemed us or bought us with the price of his blood. Jesus died for the forgiveness of sins. He then rose from the grave to solidify his deity. And not only that, but to claim power not only over sin, but over life and death itself. This is the king we praise. This is the king we serve. Soli Deo Gloria, to God be the glory alone. Let's pray. Lord God, 
we come to your scripture today humbled because we recognize the power of prayer and the communion that we have in prayer with you. We also recognize our place in this world, how, how low we are in light of your glory and your righteousness. And we are humbled by the fact that you would choose us to be your sons and daughters, your heirs to your throne. And God, we recognize that because of who you are, that we find who we are. And because of who we are as your heirs, we understand now that we have authority because of who you are, because you bestowed that authority on us. And now that we understand that, who we are and the authority we have, we understand that we can act in obedience and in power. Not just obeying in our own strength, but obeying in your power that you have given to us because of the authority that you have. So no sin can conquer us. No attack that Satan can wage against us can conquer us because of who you are in us. Because we recognize, God, that this war that we wage is not physical. It is a spiritual war. And you are with us. And you have empowered us. And you have given us authority. God, we thank you for that. All of this, all this understanding, all of this information we receive today turns us back to you and causes us to praise you and thank you for who you are. You know, if you're here today and you're dealing with problems that seem insurmountable, if you think that there's nothing or no one that can fix your problems, if you're having fights with people and there seems to be no end, God's promise is this. For his heirs, for his children, there's not a battle that is not already won because of his glorious might. For his heirs, there is no struggle that we have to fight on our own. Because as Paul prayed for the Colossians, those who are saved by grace have a God who will fill them by their faith with all power according to his glorious might. If you're a Christian today and you're struggling with anything, I mentioned earlier, ask God to help you to abide in him that he may strengthen, in you, strengthen you. If you're not a Christian and you desire help with these struggles, God says this, come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Rest in which you can recharge and find your true purpose in him. Rest from which you can understand God and his authority and allow him to conquer the struggles in his power according to his glorious mind. If you're not a Christian, I invite you to surrender to God today. You can pray with me now this prayer. Nothing special about it, but just pray with me. Say, God, I recognize today 
that I cannot get myself out of this trouble I am in. I cannot save myself from the battle I am facing. I surrender to your leadership, to your leadership, and ask you to rule in my life as king. I ask you to be my Abba. I give you my heart, my mind, my strength, and my life. Forgive me for denying you the place of king in my life. Forgive me for, of my sins. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer today, there's, there's a, a huge promise in that, that you don't no longer have to be ruled by your sin. You no longer have to walk in fear that you will not be able to make it. Because God has you. God's got you covered. God is your strength. He is your authority. He is your power. And he defines who you are. You know, if you prayed that prayer today, I invite you to uh, come talk with myself, with Greg, with Eve in the back, with Mike. Where's Mike? Mike's somewhere around here. There's Mike. Mike's in the back. Come talk to one of us. Uh, Carl, he's, he's not here. He's out this week. But come talk to one of us about it. We can just have a dialogue, see what God's doing in your life. We would love to be able to rejoice with you in that and talk more about what that looks like from here on out.